This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You may be seated if you've been standing, and uh, if you're at home, I really encourage you to grab a Bible because we're going to be looking at what gospel reading that you heard read, so it would help to have that. I'm not going to just try to share my opinion about things, but to bring a word from God's word for us today. Right after college, I lived in South Minneapolis for five years. I lived on 37th and C, a few blocks from 38th and Chicago, where George Floyd was killed. And I also attended church there in that neighborhood at a church called Park Avenue United. It was pastored by a guy named C. Philip Heinerman, or we just called him Doc for short. Doc became a very important mentor in my life over the years. And I love Doc because uh, he said he grew the church from 1,400 people to 700 people. Cut in half. And every year it declined because Doc had two passions. And he actually wrote about this. He said every church should have a passion for what he called evangelistic passion. And that is the preaching of the good news in Jesus. And he said every church should also have what he called a great for the world at its doorsteps. And I love that. It was, it was missional. And, and Doc took that very seriously. And so in Doc's day, when he started coming to the church, the, the demographics of the community, the demographics of the neighborhood at his doorstep began to radically change. So the white people uh, moved out into the suburbs and the neighborhood became increasingly black and brown. And Doc said, that's the neighborhood we're going to reach. That's who we are going to minister to. And that was not always a very popular decision. Every year, Doc would say, I'm going to quit. And every year he'd say, I'll just stay one more year. And it got worse and worse and worse until it finally hit bottom and it started getting better. And then it became, heyday became one of the first racially integrated churches in the country. And I remember when I came in the mid-80s, I would listen to Doc preach every Sunday, and he would preach these just really rich, biblically rich, Christ-centered sermons. And then at the end of the sermon, he would invite people to come forward, and there was this huge communion altar rail in the front, and people would come streaming forward, black and brown and white and young and old and kids and families and singles and rich and poor and middle class, and they'd come around that altar and encountering the presence of Jesus Christ. All kinds of people with all kinds of baggage. People with sins of addiction. People with sins of sexual sin and adultery and premarital sex and people with, people with greed and people with lust and people with racism in their heart and people with bitterness and resentment. People would come streaming. And as I recall, as I picture this in my mind, it was just a really emotional scene, but really powerful because people were meeting Jesus and people were being forgiven and people were being transformed. Now, in the 80s, we hadn't really begun to deal with the depths of systemic racism in South Minneapolis, but at least for Doc's time, that was a beautiful picture of what the kingdom of Jesus looks like, what the church looks like. Now, I want to ask, where did Doc get that vision? Who did he get that from? What kept him going? What was the passion and proclamation of his message Sunday after Sunday? Now, as followers of Jesus, we might say, well, it came from Jesus, right? And yes, that's true, but that's not the whole story. 
Actually, I can summarize the whole story in one word. Trinity. Or the Trinity, as we say. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The inner life of the Trinity is what captured Doc's heart and ministry and what got infused into that church and what caused them to go into their neighborhood and minister to the love of Christ in their neighborhood. Now you might say, the Trinity? Three and three and one? That's so confusing and it's so complicated and it's so impractical and such a heady, cold, clunky concept. Why? Are we going to talk about that? What difference would that make in the burning issues of our day? Well, let me say, once we understand this, once we not just understand it, but immerse ourselves in the life of the triune God, it is the most practical, the most life-changing power and presence in the universe. And secondly, we're going to talk about it because it's on at least footprints or traces of the Trinity are all over. So for instance, we, you just heard read the gospel text from Matthew chapter 3. The first book in the New Testament. The first Matthew chapter 3. Barely the third page of the New Testament. And what do we see? We see the life of the triune God. We see all the members of the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in action on mission to save a lost and weary humanity. The roots of sin go deep, as we're going to see in this passage. But the love and power of the triune God to transform sinners like you and me and us goes infinitely still. It is utterly practical. We see the triune God in action here. Verse 17, let me start from the end of this passage. This voice from heaven, that's God the Father, says about God the Son. It says, verse 17 starts with, behold, to see this. I want you to listen to this. I want you to hear this. This is something incredible. Pay attention to this. Behold, the Father says, this is my beloved Son, well pleased. In God's inner life, there's not just cold space. There's not just a creator. There's not just a lawgiver, although there is all of that. But there is love. There is affection. There is intimacy. There is what I'm going to call a circle of belovedness. This is my beloved son. I love him. With whom I am well pleased. I delight in him. That circle of belovedness and the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that he invites us into that circle of belovedness. And the whole Trinity is involved in this. So verse 13, we read, then Jesus came God the Son. Verse 16, the Spirit of God descending like a dove, the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, a voice from heaven. God the Father. The whole Trinity is involved in reaching down and saving broken sinners like us. One of the early church thinkers, a man named Gregory Nazianzus, he he put it this way. He said, and it's just like kind of mind-blowing. He said, I cannot think of the one without immediately being surrounded by the radiance of the three. 
nor can I discern the three without at once being carried back to the one. Three and one, one and three. In this passage, it's as if the whole Trinity is giving us a letter. Now, it's really, it's much deeper than a letter because it's actually physical presence. But if it was a letter, if we would turn this passage into a letter, it would go something like this. The whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dear world, I love you. And I know you're confused. And I know you're angry. And I know you're hurting. And I know you're lost. And I know you've been hurt. But I want to get you back. And we, the three in one, the one in three, invite you, people from every language and tribe and tongue, we invite you to come back. I'm winning you back. I have another mentor named Daryl, Daryl Johnson, who's a professor out in uh, British Columbia. And he actually wrote a book called Experiencing the Trinity. And he's a great preacher. So I asked him, I said, Daryl, if you were going to preach one sermon on the Trinity, the triune nature of God, what would you say? And I knew what he would say because I'd read his book, but I wanted to ask him anyway. And he said this, I would say that at the heart of the universe, in the heart and the inner life of God, the bedrock of reality from all eternity, there has been a loving relationship, a community of love that has turned out to us and invited us in. Now get this. So God is one. As every good Jew would say, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, our God is one. And yet, the church teaches God is not a solitary God. God is not an insecure or a needy God. Like, I need, I need your worship. So worship me because I'm needy. God already has the love he needs. God is not a God of disgust who turns his back towards us. God is not even a God sitting on a throne, just merely sitting on a throne. God is not even God. God is a relationship of love. A community of love, outgoing, overflowing, mutually honoring. In other words, we could ask, what was God be- before what was God doing? Who, who, God, who did God have before he created a world? Well, every religion will answer that differently. That before there was a world, before there was us, before there was any created things, God was from all eternity a father loving his son, a son loving back, and the spirit being love itself. Not just God, but God, a Father eternally loving. And God is Father, loving Father, all the way down and up. So for instance, when we say that God is majestic, what we mean is that God is a loving Father who is majestic. When we say that God is a lawgiver, that God gives us to live by, that God gives us commandments. When God says, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do this. It is not just an arbitrary lawgiver. And this is so important for us in this skeptical, cynical age that we live in. 
God is not just a lawgiver, but God is a loving father who is a lawgiver. It takes nothing away from the laws, but it changes the whole motivation behind them. Another early Christian thinker, a man named Augustine, is half African, half Roman individual. He said that God is all at the same time the one who loves, that's God the Father, the one who is loved, God the Son, and the one who is love itself, God the Holy Spirit. God is the lover, God is the beloved, the beloved, and God is love itself. All the way down. So what does this God do? Because that's what we see in this passage. We see what God does. We see what God, God's action, the triune God's mission. What is it? Well, you heard it in our epistle reading from Ephesians, New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 6. It says that we've blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then verse 6, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Jesus is the beloved. He's the beloved son. We have been not only forgiven, not only saved, not only redeemed, but we have been brought into, through Jesus, in Jesus, that circle of belovedness. Matthew 3. Back to Matthew 3. The Holy Spirit rests on the beloved one, saying, look at him. The Father says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Look at him. They say, if you want to know me, get with the beloved. In Jesus, we have all the living God offers to save sinners like us. And his plan and his purpose has been to come to us, to where we are, to save us and redeem us. Look at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Look at all those statements of intention, purpose, planning. The triune God has a purpose. The triune God has an intention. It's clearly spelled out. Why is he going to be baptized? Why is the beloved God the Son going to be baptized? For sinners, he's not a sinner. The whole New Testament says that Jesus is a sinless one. He has never sinned. So why is he being baptized? He doesn't need it. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And God the Son is purely light. So why is he being baptized? In order to come to us. To save us. To come down to our level. To come where we are. John the Baptist gets this. In verse 14, he says, I need to be baptized by you. You should be doing the baptism, Jesus. And do you come to me? But that's the inner life of the triune God. Outgoing, overflowing, coming to us. The roots of sin go deep. You know, a lot of us in this country, we have had a 
reckoning and awakening in particular to the depth of one particular sin. And that's the racism against and demonization of other human beings made in the image of God. There's lots of other issues swirling about around in our country. We have different ideas about the pandemic. We have people, whites and blacks, looting, destroying property. There's all these other issues, but I want us to focus on this issue because I think this can be a moment for us to wake up to a particular form of sin. You know, in the 1930s and 40s, the Nazis dehumanized people, especially the Jewish people, calling them vermin, a disease, life unfit for life. About the same time, Marxist people, peasants, the farmers, calling them inhumane beasts, inhuman beasts. In the 1940s or the 1990s, one tribal group in Rwanda, the Hutus, routinely dehumanized another group called the Tutsis. They called them cockroaches. That was their name for them, and that was how they treated them. That erupted. I think it's tempting for us, it's tempting for me to think, well, that's really bad, but not us. We haven't done that. I think as we listen to many of our African-American neighbors, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we realize that we have. So we ask the question, who have I dehumanized? Who, who am I still dehumanizing? Who will I dehumanize? That's for every group. But in the Bible, there's, there's an even more shocking level of betrayal and sin. So that's, that's the horizontal. There's a vertical, and the horizontal sin stems from this vertical. Listen to what Jeremiah the prophet said. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the Lord says, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's the root from all where sin flows from. You have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So the triune God says, I still love you. I want you back. But you have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. My point is, is that no one can stand before this living and holy triune God. No one can stand and say, I'm righteous. I'm one of the good people. No one can stand before him like that. In Matthew 3, we raise the question, and where is God in the midst of all of this? Behold, he's in the Jordan River. He's going down into the water to be baptized, not as a sinner, but for sinners. That's the way Jesus lived his whole life, his birth, 
his eating with sinners. His death on the cross was all to be with us and for us. A New Testament verse says from 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ, the Son of God, the Beloved One, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God the Father, that he might forgive us and bring us into that circle of belovedness, drawn into that. You know, I stayed in touch with my mentor, Doc, for the next 10, 15 years. He moved to South Carolina. We moved to Barnum, Minnesota. He actually came to our, our church in Barnum and he preached. He stayed in our basement. I remember waking up in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., the light was on in his door in the room, our guest room. I asked him the next day if he couldn't sleep. He said, Matt, I'm up every day at 4 a.m. I'm praying. That's what, I, that's what I do. Every day, I have to pray for you and your family. In March 2001, at the age of 82, I got word that Doc died. I was actually preparing to preach for Palm Sunday when I opened my email and a friend told me that Doc had died in North Carolina. I remember sitting at my desk and I wept. Here was a man who immersed himself in the life of the triune God. He believed, he lived, he loved, he prayed, he fought for the gospel. He applied the gospel to the burning issues of his day in his neighborhood, in his community. That is your life, follower of Jesus. That's our life. In our baptism, we are marked with the Trinity in the shape of the cross. At death, in our Anglican liturgy, we're marked with the Trinity. Every week in worship, we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We mark our bodies of the triune God in the shape of a cross. That's what God is, and that's what God does. Outgoing, sacrificial, saving love. The Apostle Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being. You were made to live in the circle of this belovedness. And the whole story of the Bible is how we lost our way from that circle how we walked out of that circle and how the triune God went to find us and save us and even live among us and die for us to bring us back. To be a Christian, to be saved, to repent from sin and start a new life in Jesus is not only to be forgiven, not only to be redeemed, but to be transformed by life in the circle of the triune God. That's the invitation Jesus has. And if you've never responded, I would encourage you today, today, be your day to say, Lord Jesus, I have, I've wandered way outside that loving relationship. But Jesus, I repent and I come back to you. 
It also changes the way you look at everyone you meet. You cannot see anyone. You cannot see anyone anymore except to say, that person, that person was made to live in the circle of belovedness. Could be a political rival that appalls you. It could be a family member that you can't speak to. It could be a woman today in rural Papua New Guinea who needs a C-section. It could be two billion people that have never heard the gospel. It could be somebody battling an addiction today. It could be a college student that's struggling with despair. It could be a police officer trying to do the right thing in a city that's burning. It could be a middle-aged man who's anxious and angry and confused. You say, where is the triune God? In Jesus, God the Son, the Beloved, we have everything we need to live in his life, to treat others as people who were made to be invited in to that circle as well. Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.